0: And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Welcome to Social Media White Noise. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that, Ted, but we've had complaints that the intro's too long.
1: I'm screen tested for cuddliness. Is that true? It is. It's true. It. I was told. Screen tested for cuddliness. And there we go. Anyway, good morning, good day, good afternoon. Goodness me, where are we? It's episode number ninety-four <clears> of Social Media White Noise with is. myself, Nick, aka at Loudmouth Man Butler, and himself,
0: Mr. Brigadier Andrew Thomas St. John, um Hicking Bottom White, otherwise known as Doctor Pod. Doctor Pod, out fully D O C T O R P O D, not D R Pod.
1: You know, we have half a podcast to go in. That's mostly all you telling people how to spell Doctor. Although um, I suppose it's important because it's Doctor with an O C T O R. And we are in Sunny Horsham. We're in Sunny Horsham. Good morning, Horsham. In Rosie, Lee and me, which you will find in Piri's place, uh, just hidden on the corner here as you head out what towards sort of the Carfax. corner and um I, it's 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 a, it's a vintage tea room it's a vintage tea it room is. now as you as you approach it's it it's its your approach it's children's toys clothes uh toddlers toys and so forth downstairs and then upstairs um hidden away i feel and rather cozily placed is the vintage tea room uh they're serving a fantastic range of coffees teas cakes and classically vintage music in the background yeah can you hear it there we go i'm loving it i'm loving it so andy how you been
0: loving it Uh, i've been fine yeah yeah um uh, news from andy i've upgraded to snow leopard oh yes bleeding edge me
1: leading edge. The recording equipment is now
0: running on Snow Leopard. So we'll be
1: recording this three times before it goes out for the first time.
0: (laughs) Yes, marvellous. Actually,
1: I've done an upgrade to Windows 8, so we'll talk about Windows 8 upgrades in a bit. We're going to talk about Bitcoins, because you know they're my favourite topic. It's
0: a hot pick. And
1: speaking of hot topics, Stephen Sinofsky of uh, of Microsoft. uh, Of course, he we know well. He from Microsoft and so they're talking about Windows Start buttons coming back. I don't think so. Hey, speaking of bad I, ideas I, talked out loud, yes. our Prime Minister David Cameron guess it should be down to the internet service providers. Sorry, to I just
0: drop the wallet then sorry about that. Monitor
1: and filter content on behalf of adults. And speaking of monitoring and filtering content, the BBC has a viewpoint on small firms proving to be a weak link to hackers. You are the weak link. And speaking of hackers, I get hacked off with the content of Twitter's profile header update. And we'll probably also talk about remembering passwords, because we dropped into that topic as well. We did, because of my upgrade,
0: anyway. I've so, never usually done the wrong
1: um, intro, Right. Yeah, yeah, you've done most of the talking. That's
0: most unusual. Um, should we talk about the first thing then on the list? I have to admit, I, I haven't had a chance to um, look through these, but Bitcoin marches onwards as WordPress accepts payment. I did actually see this. And WordPress is one of the growing a growing handful of organisations that are accepting
1: Bitcoin. I think, I think, I think the story here is how BitPay have successfully integrated with WordPress payment mechanisms so that you can pay to upgrade your user profile mm-hmm. from a free user to a premium content user in WordPress. Mm. And off the back of that, they're allowing you to pay with bitcoins. Mm. Oh, we've, we've discussed them in the past. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about them because there's a really good article we link to from The Economist that talks about what bitcoins are all about. Um, I think what i think's interesting is there was a recent panel in london where they were talking about they were talking about virtual currencies and i i love it when people say virtual currencies because all currency is virtual well it is these days <laughs> you know? isn't it well not even the not even saying it is these days even if you have a you know if you have a if you have a five pound note in your hand or a one dollar bill in your hand that's virtual currency because currency it's is a, a virtual promise. idea. It's a promise. It's all virtual. But there's it, no such thing as currency. It amuses me that, that doesn't
0: the, the current ten pound notes still and, the, and our paper money still say, "I promise to pay the bearer well, on demand." And that's important. The sum and, of.
1: But the thing is, that's very important right. because the fact that it promises to pay, yeah, or that um, that, that you know we it, it, that it's, there's a trust mechanism in there that has been built up out of decades of understanding how fraudulent and counterfeit activity can occur mm. and how to protect that market. Then we've moved to electronic payments and we, leave, we move to electronic systems for payments. We don't have that decades of experience as to how we'll handle or monitor or expect. You know, somebody gives you a monopoly money and says to you, this is a £5 note, you know to laugh at them. Yeah. Somebody gives you a really good counterfeit of a £5 note you'll probably fall for it, but the system is set up that it eventually is spotted and that note is taken out of circulation. How do you take, with payments, how do you know that the person paying is legitimately the person supposed to be paying? How do you trust that the person receiving payment is supposed to be there? As, and a, as a payee, care? no. And, and so things like Bitcoin come along, and Bitcoin is a currency mechanism, and this is where the, the panel is interested, because we're talking about virtual currencies. And say virtual currencies like Linden Dollars... In like Linda. EVE Online and their payment system um, and Facebook credits. And, and, and I think what we're seeing is, is a sort of slow growth in application providers building their own credit system, building their own currency system in order to avoid some of the issues in transactional charges that can occur when you move money from one exchange rate to another exchange rate and when you move currencies between countries so now you look at things like Bitcoin which is not managed it's not centralised by any one country's bank it's a fiat currency it's a promise currency um, and it's, it's set up in such a way that each coin is mined and found out and discovered so there's a limited supply of them at the moment it's twelve dollars to one bitcoin. I mean, it's a phenomenal rate. It shot up to something like sort of eighty or so at one point. It was just it's twelve an dollars for bitcoin now. It's twelve dollars bitcoin. It was originally at four when I was first buying. Wasn't it? it wasn't it pretty much parity when it first kicked oh, off? Oh, wasn't parity? It was at four. Oh right, um, okay. And, but the interesting thing is that despite the numerous bubbles and and climbs and raises and and runs in the market that it's experienced and thefts that it's experienced, yeah, bitcoin is not going away. Bitcoin is being discussed in terms of what it's going to mean to every... Because from a corporation's point of view, corporations like the concept of Bitcoin because it's one less accounting problem yeah. to deal with local tax. Yeah. See, when you're raising money locally and you're, you're creating money locally and you're using the local currency system, everybody gets generally upset because, like, well, you're not paying tax for blah. Mm. So what if you put things into Bitcoin so that the currency exists so that it's a promise between individuals and the governments are cut right out of that loop? <laughs> that's what we're looking at here. And the thing about virtual <clears throat> currencies is a great concern to anybody who's interested in saying, "I'll take a slice of every sale that's out there." And how is that managed? Obviously, things like Bit- BitPay and WordPress and so forth—they have to exist within a market of being able to handle exchange into real currencies and back mm. and forwards. Because as yet, everyone is—you know—we've come into Rosie Lee and me, and we're paying with pound notes. We're mm. not paying with Bitcoin. Mm. But if we paid with Bitcoin, how easily could it be tracked that those payments were made and received? Because they're so anonymous. Okay, somebody
0: has actually written an app for the iPhone, and it might even be for Android. Even it might be for Android as well. Um, But apparently, it's a bit rubbish. A, A Bitcoin payer. I don't know how it works. Bitcoin wallets, you,
1: because, because every time you run up a Bitcoin, app, that something
0: you could walk into somewhere like this and pay with Bitcoin. Yeah, somehow? Well, if you
1: can do an, if you can do near field near field communication off right. the back of your phone, there's an Android app for Bitcoin. Right. That you could potentially do that with, but you'd need somebody to be able to receive that payment. Yeah. And because one of the things that happens with Bitcoin is that when the payment's made, mm. it also has to be certified in the system. Mm. So there's confirmations come in that that coin's okay. Yeah. Those confirmations come from other Bitcoin engines that are out there in the network mm. and of course that can take time to arrive. Right. And that's a delay. Now that's like a clearinghouse delay. Yeah. And of course if you're in a position of wanting to have trust, you'll sort of say, well I trust that you've paid me and you'll move on with the transaction.
0: Mm.
1: So there's there's still there are there's decades worth of experience that we have in handling physical transactions. That we have in handling handwritten transactions that we're now only beginning to understand in a virtual world. And how that's going to affect us. But it's great news that someplace like WordPress, which has a, a, a really strong sort of facing outward exposure to a large sector of non-technical people, mm. is going to put Bitcoin on that list of ways you can pay mm. because it will put that into people's heads. This is a mechanism by which you can start to pay.
0: And we, can say, we accept Bitcoin, do we not? Do we accept Bitcoin? We don't
1: accept Bitcoin. I've got a Bitcoin account. We could set this up, and it's another yeah. thing we could look at. But then we'd be down to, if, you, if, if you're if you going to send us a donation, and we have a donation button mm. that's now available, now that I've removed the malware from our website, and you can get back to our website, no hint of irony that we have a malware that occurred after I talked about story. the anti-antivirus. Yeah. But you could go and play with Bitcoin. So paying us in Bitcoins would mean I'd have to run a Bitcoin wallet somewhere to receive mm. it. Mm. And that Bitcoin wallet uh, would then have to be changed. So if you were going to give us a £10 Mm. donation to cover a show, then let's call that $18. Mm. Then it's the best part of like two and a half Bitcoin. Mm. So it'd be a couple of Bitcoin per show. Mm. We would then turn into dollars that turn back into pounds that we would then pay for. Mm. And that's a complete... I've just screwed up that, that exchange rate totally, but there we go. Somebody else is now shouting into the podcast <laughs> how I got into it their radiograms. Mm, into their radiograms because we're in a vintage tea room that's right and there are some they answer some great co- great common questions on there like how does it work how do I get started um how do you handle bitcoins some bitcoin isn't an option in your store what gives and so they're talking about bitcoin and I, I'd love to know which meeting occurred where somebody got this through um mm. I think a, a good breakdown on the topic of bitcoin though before we sort of move on The Economist, I have a link to it here. The Economist talks about Monetarius Anonymous. Um, And they start off with a quote that says, give me control of a nation's money supply and I care not who makes its laws, which is what uh, Mayor Amschel Rothschild, founder of the Rothschild banking dynasty. Um, So what would he make of Bitcoin? And and Rothschild banking dynasty, I mean, there's a whole family to look into if you want to look into the economy of the world Mm. and the world economy and banking economy and history, Rothschild is a... There's a whole minefield to jump onto. But it's a great write-up on Bitcoin, a great write-up on the hype cycle of it, and the fact that this thing is not going away. Uh, And, you know, they point out credit cards were not designed for the internet. Our currency systems were not designed for the internet because our currency systems, as I say, were built up out of decades of experience of managing fraud and counterfeiting and managing against that. And internet is about... Very quickly trusting things and currency's not great for that, mm. <laughs> that currency is not designed for fast trust, despite the fact it feels like it should be um, so go ahead and read that great coverage of it. Bitcoins are not going away um, and they are things that are going to slowly sort of creep into the mindset of what people expect I'm um, going things, to see how that pans out and, and, of, and of things that went away Steven Sanofsky of Microsoft because you you don't use many Microsoft products do you so this is not I've completely
0: come away I hear there's a Windows 8 available now I mean that's that's how literally
1: separated from Windows I am you don't use I still use Windows Macs Linux right so you've had the Snow Leopard upgrade experience and I've had the Windows 8 upgrade experience tell us about it and he um, says blasting into his mic I've, I've I've upgraded my laptop to Windows 8 from Windows 7 because um, at the moment until January Microsoft are offering a deal where you can upgrade from XP, Vista, Windows 7 yeah. to Windows 8 for £25. Okay. sounds a great deal. Yeah. You should just go out and get yourself a product key anyway. Yeah. You should buy a product key now. Go and buy it because, because when the deal ends the price goes up. Windows 8 is designed with the function that you'll have a multi-touch environment available. Mm. It works well on a laptop, because, you know, I I don't really feel it works well in a multi-desktop environment. But what's gone? Speaking of things that have gone, Steven Tsunoski at Microsoft was responsible for leading the way in getting rid of the start button. From Windows,
0: so let me get a try In Windows Seven, was it still there?
1: Yeah, Windows Seven. The little okay. start button is down on bottom the bottom left. left. Yes, at the bottom left is always a start button. <laughs> the thing is, is I mean, I, you know, you set up a client's machine, and they say, "Could you put the icons on the desktop?" Mm. And you're like, could you not just go to the start button?" Oh no, I don't go to the start button. That's too confusing. Mm. So what you have in Windows Eight is you have a start screen that mm. is a big flat screen with big tiled icons. And the icons are either interactive. These so are the big the squares, app, like on the phone. The big aren't squares, they? Yeah. yeah. And so, if, if your if your app is open, the icons are active, and the icons are showing you sort of current news and so yeah. forth, current information inside that app, and notifications. Mm. Um, so essentially, that big start screen has now is the same as icons on the desktop,
0: but kind of cooler looking.
1: And it, it's it's sort of smarter and it's tidier and it's easier to manage. And you can resize. And and I. I like that because that's what clients want, mm. but that's effectively your start menu as one great big screen, yeah. into which you could go and select the desktop, and when you switch to the desktop… because it
0: can show you information. The start menu couldn't, but that the, can show you information. Yes, that's right. This There's shows more you space. Information. So yeah. In
1: each of the icons that's open, if, if, if you've opened up your email, yeah. then the mail icon will show you the most recent mail alerts and okay, nice. you know, the messaging icon. And What I like about Windows 8 is it integrates with Google Apps for your domain right, natively. So it automatically integrated my calendars, my email, my yep. contacts list. It integrated my Facebook and my Twitter contact list so that all the people in my address book on my Windows machine mm. are linked to the accounts online into my Windows 8 machine. Oh, yeah, Windows, sounds good. And just like your Apple iTunes experience, where your Apple ID has all the licenses for the apps you've installed mm. and all the applications that you install are registered to your ID so that if you move from this Mac to another Mac and you log in with that ID... You can have all those apps. It does the same thing in Windows 8. So all my configuration settings are stored to my Windows Live ID. Mm. If I set up another laptop and I log in with with my user account on that laptop, it can bring down all the applications and all the settings and all my configuration. So from a setup point of view, that's a zero setup thought because now the user can move from one machine to a new machine to a new machine.
0: So when you, when you were installing Windows 8, did it ask you for your Google password and stuff so it could start integrating?
1: It asked me for my Windows Live ID. Okay. Now, you can use a local ID, and so therefore it mm. doesn't integrate at that level. Yeah. Um, but I used the Windows Live ID, and it worked, and I liked it. I actually like Windows 8. I think it's a better product... For the consumer user, yeah, I think the business user is going to have a hard time integrating it because the Start Menu and the idea that you don't put icons on the desktop ever.
0: Yeah, you can, but it's just no what need. are these icons are they? They're not icons. You can have It's just a screen. If, if you're on
1: the desktop, they're just the icons to the app. Right. If you're in the Start Menu, they're the title on the tile. Right. And the tile is either active or it's just the application icon.
0: Okay. Right. So, so Nick tried Windows 8 and he liked it. I
1: liked it. I'm okay. definitely moving forward with it. I don't think I'm going to go back. Better than 7? Um, yeah, well, just, you know, boot time in under 20 seconds. Okay. Fast boot times, great storage, works Works well. Skype's horrible on it, but there you okay. go. Everyone... Why is
0: Skype horrible on it?
1: So they're they're integrating everything into this Metro, that we're not to call Metro, this Windows 8 live interface. Right. So everything is to operate in full-screen mode. So everything operates in full-screen mode. So... Unless you're on the desktop physical and you launch things into the desktop yeah. and tell that thing to launch as part of the desktop, it will launch into the full-screen mode. So Chrome runs in full-screen mode, okay. um, Word runs in full-screen mode, uh, Skype runs in full-screen mode, and then you have to go to the top left, Yeah. and when you go up to the top left and you either hold your mouse there, mm. it will show you all your open windows, or you just click at the top left and it will cycle through all the open windows. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of like the alt-tab functionality. Yes. At bottom left is where the start menu is. So you go down to the bottom left and it pops the start window open. Yep. Top right brings open the charms. And the charms are, are essentially context-sensitive menu. So if I'm in Word... Hang on, what are the charms? Charms are context-sensitive widgets for okay. that application. Right. So they generally include things like search and settings. Okay. And then other things that might be relevant to that. So if you're in Evernote top right brings up the search i can then search and it will search within evernote but also within google and bring mm-hmm. back all the responses
0: mm.
1: there is an app store just like an itunes app store just like a mac app store uh, into which your applications are installed from um not a huge range but everything i need to get going so i've got pocket i've got evernote i've got sketch i've got skype you know i've got netflix i've got my consumer level stuff installed what more do I need? Mm. And, and at the desktop level, I'm, you know, I'm still running Putty, still running remote desktop. I run Chrome in the full screen mode. One of the nice things about running Chrome in Windows 8 is when people throw a pop-up on you, Chrome just opens it in a new tab. So it doesn't ind- you, you don't get pop-ups. Mm. Mm. It actually has killed pop-ups. And I think it's important to understand that from a designer's point of view, you have to take hover out of your design because the thing about touchscreen interfaces is there's no more hover mm, event. Mm. So we all have to start moving our designs away from hover. And that's the thing that blows... You know, whenever I talk to a designer, I go, <laughs> oh, I've built this website, it's great, it's great. So you've got hover on there. Yeah, it's great. So that's not going to work on an iPad. Because we'll there's no hate. hover in a multi touch environment. It's less bothering. What than do you do? Hover? Yes, no more bother with hovers. <laughs> Thank you. Better move on, actually,
0: Nick. Uh, yeah. Before we do move on, we're at, uh, where are we? We're at about 18, 19 minutes. Um, let's talk about our. Uh, Sponsors. Let's
1: talk about sex. No, <laughs> that's the next topic.
0: We have no sponsors. We have no sponsors.
1: We have no sponsors. But I'd like to try and sort out a uh, few sponsors for the 100 show, which is coming mm. up in a few months' time. But in the meanwhile, we are Sons' sponsor, without those who are providing for tea and cake, other than the donations which are uh, happily accepted at our website. So www.socialmediawhitenoise.com there's a donate button on pretty much every post. sends through to my PayPal, not my Bitcoin. And uh, from there, I'm able to convert your payments into our cash for our coffees and cakes. Fantastic. Uh, which are uh, enjoy today at Rosie Lee and me. Should we talk about small firms and security concerns? About small firms, security mm. concerns.
0: the As Nick the risks of desperately data. scans the, the list of... Things that, that things he threw that that together was, just before we came. Because I had,
1: I had the uh, David Cameron, uh, Prime Minister David Cameron, filter question. But we'll, we'll, we'll the, 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 this breached backdoors. So here's, here's the thing.
0: Yeah, what's been happening, Nick?
1: I, I generally visit uh, small, and medium enterprises and discover that another IT company's been in there, and they've sold huge you know, like 800 pound firewall cisco boxes and so forth mm-hmm. so, so they've got uh, they've got a netgear ADSL router which has a built-in firewall yeah and then they've put another firewall in between it and they've set their network up with all this uh, active directory security and all the rest of it and they over deliver on security for clients what we have with current needs for users in an internet-based world is a view of they're going to have a spread-out level of security. So if they're using Google Apps for their domain or they're mm. using Microsoft Office 365, you need to get users into the habit of better passwords. You know, no longer the sort of single 8-digit or 12-digit mixed case, mixed numbers, mm. which we, we sort of... Humans are terrible at remembering them and computers are great at cracking them. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a classic XKCD cartoon that, that highlights that. Um, so... You have to sort of move them into this idea of, of better security for things online. The internet based security in terms of their outside world to their inside world, mm. uh, those little Netgear firewalls are absolutely robust. They're absolutely perfect. Mm. Where I tend to find those, people set them up with port 3389, the remote desktop port, is straight into a Windows machine. Okay. There's no proxy between their Windows machine, no gateway mm. to protect that Windows machine, there's no certificates issued. Where there should be good security, there's usually little. And where there doesn't need to be security, there's usually too much.
0: Uh, So basically, you've got this huge bank door, vault door, but the the little door to the security panel is left wide open. Right.
1: And and what we have is there's a concern in this report about the weak protection of uh, small and medium-sized business networks, both in terms of um, poorly considered backdoors, Mm Yeah, poorly considered management and system admin. Um, and suppliers to those firms are aware because mm. the cybersecurity issue surrounding being a supplier to a business mm. that is compromised is that their compromise opens a door to your network as well. Mm. And so one thing leads into another. That it's, it's not, you know, the, the risk isn't huge. Not everyone out there is going to be under attack. But it's worth bearing in mind that these attacks when they occur are not occurring because somebody's deliberately set out to focus on that site what occurs is robot scripts programs are written to crawl through internet connections IP addresses randomly. So they just randomly go out Mm. and they test. Is port 3389 open? Is port this open? So once they find those ports are open, they then leave a a response as a text file for another robot to pick up that says this IP address, these things to check. That then automatically tests for all the known exploits. Once an exploit is identified, it can then go to another robot that injects the exploit and leaves information for a system administrator hacker Mm. to then access that site directly and add any other features they need. This is how it works. This is how it works consistently. Because you wouldn't. there's no way you could scale up humans to be checking randomly every time. Mm. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why I like not using default port numbers on, mm. de- on firewalls. Because 3389 is known to be a remote desktop port. So pick a completely different port and forward that one forward. It does help if Microsoft could join in and let us do this. Mm. Uh, Use a virtual private network with a secure entry point. So you have something that's on the outside of the firewall that you connect to Mm. that allows you to then make another connection through a secured link to another machine on the inside of the firewall that then lets you make a secure connection to another machine inside the network. Okay. So you're hopping over all the time. Mm. And issue certificates for those connections so that those certificates can be revoked at any time and you can remove user access. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people have websites set up where they're just provided a a password on the basis of your username is root and your password is this, and it's FTP to access. These are the three things that are guaranteed to be easy to break. Mm. When I set up my clients, I set them up with an SSH shell on a non-known port and I issue a certificate for each connection. I don't provide FTP, I use SFTP, which works over SSH. Right. So it's always a secure connection that works off a certificate, that works off a user account that never has root access and always has a cherooted or jail, mm. jailed connection, so they can't connect into that connection. Um, but that seems like a lot of over-security, but that's where it's needed. Mm. However, I tend to set them up with systems in their office where I say, look, we'll just have a simple workgroup, we'll have a simple file share, your user accounts are off the file share on the machine, so that the user account on the <coughs> machine isn't, doesn't have like active directory layers, mm. and there's mm. no active directory services built in, there's none of that additional complexity. So the machine's kept at its simplest level.
0: Sorry, I'm doing a lot of nodding here, listeners. So, yes, he's nodding quite heavily. I'm nodding because he's talking this windows, is a, you see. it's
1: pretty good. But once we're on the topic of security, um, Prime Minister David Cameron is considering forcing internet service providers to opt out of the porn block with a, provi- with a view to suggesting that... Um, you know, trying to implement a mechanism whereby if you are an adult who purchases a new internet service provider connection, they will have to ask you if you have children, and if you have children, do you want to have a filter applied to your internet connection? OK. Apart from the fact this is the best piece of science fiction going since 2001 mm. in terms of is it physically possible to do this in any reasonable way, answer, no. You know, where does it put the burden of cost on the internet service provider? It also places a burden of cost on the parents um, it's also a response to a policy issue that is actually nothing to do with what the government should be setting policy about um, the view is that you know, parents don't know what their kids are doing well that's not up to the government to manage <laughs> why, mm. why do we keep saying that? <laughs> Surely you've just said it if the parents don't know what their kids are doing, that's the parents problem, I'm a parent, I know, my, I, know my, I know my daughter's on Roblox I keep an eye on her on Roblox why, why bring in something that is next to impossible to implement and put mm. a cost? Putting the cost at the internet service provider level just means that we're making Britain more and more toxic to doing anything with the internet. And at a time when Prime Minister David Cameron says we've got to take, take the war onto the economy and we've got to have a wartime spirit, I'm saying, well, stop getting in the way of the internet then because you guys are the number one cause of, of delays for us having a successful economy because you're just not implementing an open, free internet that we all know will provide a flourishing economy. Um, BBC News article linked to it. Jim Killick of the Open Rights Group has already said, it's good to have a consultation, but default filter nets are awful. They'll block a wide range of innocent material. Nobody should be allowed... I mean, there's a great example that we we talked about a couple of years back when O2 brought that filter in, Mm. and the iPhone app Lovefresh... Was right. blocked. Alright. Because Love Fresh sounded a bit too much like it might be an adult site. So it was seeing words. You know,
0: right,
1: this, okay. just, this stuff doesn't work. Stop trying to make the problem the problem for the service provider, when the issue might actually be down to the parents. Yeah. Well, so, Nick,
0: we are at 27 minutes. We're at 27 Shall we, minutes. Should we talk about LastPass?
1: Talk about last, Well, yeah, because you've asked the question about it. I'm currently using it. Or, I moved to it from KeePass.
0: Um, or do you want to talk about Twitter headers and save... No, let's, one let's, one.
1: let's talk about LastPass. So, yeah, because I've,
0: I've been thinking... As someone that's just upgraded and therefore has lost a lot of his default passwords and things, and I've heard so much about LastPass. Tell me, is it any good? So... LastPass, you use it. You? Well,
1: I use LastPass. It works as a browser extension, so mm. it plugs into all your browsers. Yeah, it's it's fantastically therefore multi-platform. One one of the things I one of the things I was concerned about was how to manage my passwords in a secure fashion that I managed. Yeah. Now I looked at a product called KeyPass, which I was using for quite a while, mm. uh, which is an application that you install on your machine. You create a secure database against a secure key mm. and a secure certificate. And the wrong with stick certificate and the key you can open your database and get your data I found it did not integrate it did not integrate into how I worked it didn't integrate with my browser it never integrated with Firefox Never really, just never integrated cleanly and people said oh can you try this you can try that it's like look I shouldn't have to keep trying I just want to install this and have it work with LastPass and I'm using the $12 a year it's $1, $1 a month yeah. nothing premium version Uh, It installs, it encrypts the data locally to your machine, it keeps a vault, an encrypted version of the vault, up on their service, but it's doing all the encryption and decryption down at the browser level, so it's not passing anything back up. It's a plugin that then spots when you have forms on your website and can do the autofill, it can do the auto login. It also has a secure note feature, so you can create notes for certain bits of information and drop them in there. It does require you to have an internet connection (laughs) working, but then again... I'm only using this in an environment when I'm working with things already on the internet, Mm. so not having one isn't really a problem about having the other. Mm. Now I had thought that might be a problem, and then it occurred to me that since everything I do is based on having internet connectivity anyway, yeah, it's actually it's not really not a, a problem, problem if okay. the internet, you know, it's like, it's like, well, it requires the internet mm. to use, therefore if the internet's not available, it's no good to you. But it's like, but all the accounts that I'm trying to track are also internet accounts, so if they're not available, that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, so how does it differ from, say,
0: the built-in password-remembering so, bit of your browser, so for So it,
1: it's differing because it's offering a better management tool... Mm. Um, it means that you can run it if you run incognito mode in your browser so you have no cookies running everything else mm. you can still launch that one particular app for yourself yeah. to track what you're doing um, it, right. it is a better management tool for tracking your usernames and passwords I've found um, I mean I when you set it up it asks for a, a, an email address and a password and that master password is the one you have to remember because if you forget it it's mm. all locked out okay um, I've now been using it for several months, having left key pass. I'm not going to go back. Mm. What I like is that on my iPhone, I can have a copy of it running on my iPhone. Right. So I can synchronize with my vault, and then my iPhone, I can log into even without the internet connectivity. Okay. And I can actually copy, copy a password in my LastPass memory, open another iPhone app, and paste it in. <laughs> So in the event that I have multiple logins and details, that mechanism's in place for me. Right. Um, Obviously, it's not as good as implementing things like two-stage authentication, which you can do with things like Google Apps and now Mm. on Facebook. Uh, So saying if you're logging into this environment, you have to have two-stage authentication to log in. That's worthwhile doing. But LastPass brings in a level of authentication. They actually have a hardware dongle that you can utilize with LastPass as well. Mm, Right. So they can even make sure you've got something physical with you to say it's definitely Nick Butler in front of this connection. Have you ever heard of the YubiKey? That's what it's talking about. Is it the YubiKey? It is the the YubiKey. So with these things in place, I've now got a mechanism by which I'm storing all my passwords in a secure fashion Mm. with a fairly long, but from my point of view, easy to remember passphrase Mm -hmm. uh, that is linked to an email address that I'm using specifically only for LastPass. So it's a single account. It's not you know you'd have to log mm. into the account, mm. um, and the password information for that is just set up for me to forget. So it's like nice. it's always sending email to that account. I don't care. Yeah. Um, so from a from a go and have a look at this product point of view. If you've been thinking about using a password manager, LastPass has proven to be the more efficient way. Of handling passwords, and of course, it has an auto-generate feature as well, so it can generate passwords for you as well. Okay. Right. Um, so between those two products, KeyPass and LastPass, I'd have to say LastPass is one that mm. has, has won it for shall me. Definitely be looking at that. So Mr. Go Butler. and have a play with that. Yes, it's Pretty darn good. Excellent. If I could send you a gift of it, I would. Maybe we should get them to sponsor us. That's a fantastic idea. I shall email, yes. email, email. Nick's ears
0: have pricked up. I can tell it even from seven feet away.
1: Anyway, um, I
0: think that's it for today. We're at 32-odd minutes, so we'd better call it a day. And goodbye for me,
1: Dr Pod. That's goodbye from me, Loudmouth Man. And we'll see you again
0: uh, next week on the, um, on, on the podcast, which is called Social Media White Noise, which I almost forgot.
1: Yes, I almost forgot it all. I put it in the last pass. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to
0: Social Media White Noise, brought to you by Andy White, aka Dr Pod, and Nick Butler, aka Loudmouth Man. Please visit www.socialmediawhitenoise.com where you can leave comments, listen to the show straight from the webpage, and subscribe for free. Email us at youlot at socialmediawhitenoise.com. Follow us on Twitter, Doctor Pod and Loudmouthman. We'd like to thank the coffee shops of Sussex, social media and technology, without whom this show would not be possible. See you soon. Peace.